to Women Worth Knowing, the radio program and podcast hosted by Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones-Gunn. There are so many Christian women with fascinating stories, whether missionaries, musicians, reformers, authors, or wives and mothers. Their examples are inspirational to us all. This is Robin Jones-Gunn, and I'm sad to say that Cheryl Broderson is not with me in studio today, but I'm very happy to say that we have an in-studio guest, and we always like it when that happens. This guest is a very special woman that has so many stories. I'm delighted that you are going to get to know her, Marlene Rice. Welcome. Aloha, Robin. <laughs> it's so happy to, I mean, I'm so happy to be here with you, and aloha to all the listening audience. So as you may have noticed, Marlene comes from Maui, and she has had since 2006, 2005, has been the um, at the Maui Food Bank. She's a director of development. So with all of the news we've been hearing about the Lahaina fires, it is a privilege to have Marlene here to give us a very, very personal update because she has been at the hub of helping uh, everything that's been going on on Maui. So what we're going to do is jump in first with what's right at the forefront with the Maui fires. And then, Marlene, I'd like you to tell us a little bit more about your story and about Frank. And and then I think we're going to have to do two parts because there's so many God stories and amazing ways that God's worked in your life that we I really want the listeners to hear. So dive right in and tell us what you've been doing since the devastation of the Lahaina fires on Maui. Sure. Well, on, um, on August 8th, uh, I was at my office and um, all of a sudden the news came on that there was a fire up on the west side where Lahaina is. And uh, they said, but all the fires were contained. So that's what we heard on August 8th. Mm. And then I was at the office late that night and um, I left at about 8 o'clock. And on my way home, a mutual friend of yours and mine, Moana Anderson, called and said, did you hear about the fires that are heading towards your house? And I live in Kihei, which is the south side. Lahaina is on the west side. And I said, there's no fires going on. Only was in Lahaina, and they said it's contained. She said, no, Marlene, there is a fire heading towards your house. It looks like um, it looks like a river of lava mm. flowing down Haleakala, which is the volcano that's there. I know there. you sent me a picture from your front door. I couldn't mm. believe it. Right, exactly. And from where I was driving, I couldn't see anything. And then I said, but they did say the good news was the Lahaina fires were contained. And she said, no, that's not what's happening. Lahaina is on fire, and it's in the midst of burning to the ground. Mm. When I turned the corner and I got on um, the main street that takes me to my house, sure enough, I looked to my left and and coming down Haleakala was literally, uh, it looked like a river of lava. Mm. And uh, when I got home, I found that the fires in Lahaina were not contained. And literally by the next day, the, the evening of the next day, Lahaina was completely burned to the ground. Well, the pictures have been all over the news. And during, I know when he, the few years ago, the Maui Food Bank was called upon continually during the pandemic, and you were working crazy 70 hours weeks. Yes. And now with this, tell us some of the ways that you've been just seeing people rally together to help the people of Maui and 
Well, one of the things that was so incredible, and you know this, Maui is a tight community. And the logo and the motto that is is being shared now all over, um, actually all over the world, is Maui Strong. And literally, Maui is a strong place. And as soon as this happened, people were getting over to the west side any way they could to bring food and necessities to those people. And because the roads were closed because of the fire, people were going in by boat, people were going in by private helicopter, and then the next day, the Maui Food Bank, which is the safety net for food insecurity on Maui, we started taking in truckloads of food, and in the first 10 days, we distributed 250,000 pounds of food Mm. to the west side and then all the people that were in the shelters. And I'll tell you, the hard thing about this, Robin, and I try not to cry, but it's really hard. We didn't just lose a person. Losing a person is hard enough. And you've lived on Maui. We lost an entire community. People in our church were sharing testimonies, how their families were missing. And that Sunday morning in church, five of their family members were found in a car and they were burned beyond recognition. And the children that died in the fire, because school hadn't opened, the school wasn't going to be opening until Wednesday. So... There's all kinds of miraculous things that happened with Mm. with every one of those miraculous escapes that you hear about, how people got out. And if they would have stayed 10 minutes longer, they would have been burned to death. They would have died. For every miracle, I would say there's 10 tragic loss. But in the middle of all that, we as Believer knows that God is doing things behind the scenes. And I'll tell you, people are coming to Christ. (laughs) And people's needs are being met. And that is what's so beautiful. And this show is Women Worth Knowing. And I just want to take a brief minute to share a woman worth knowing from Maui with you. Yes, yes. And um, her name is Maud Cummings. And Maud is 74 years old. And for any of you listeners out there that think I'm too old to do anything for Jesus, let me just tell you what Maud did in the midst of these uh, fires. Maud started a ministry called Family Life, and what they do is they help homeless people find homes. These are people that are capable of working, just things happened in their life, uh, started out with mostly helping women. And so Maud's been doing this for over 30 years and has found housing for literally thousands of people, especially wow. women and children. So when this happened— Maud had a vision that our church owns 10 empty acres across the street, and she went to Dr. Morocco and said, we have got to put temporary housing up on this property. So across the street, that's not right where the fires were. The fires covered five acres, I understand, but then this property was just as you're entering. This property is in um, Kahului. Okay, there you go. Yeah, not in Lahaina. Right, right. But you couldn't put anything up in Lahaina right no, now. No, no. So this is at the where the Kahului Church is, and across from the Kahului Church is 10 acres. Mm-hmm. So you've been by it many times. Mm-hmm. You can envision it. And she had a vision of these particular homes that she had researched. And there was a company in America, and the same company was—, was were building these homes in, the Ukra- or in Hungary because they were taking these homes into the Ukraine. And these were the perfect homes that were going to be able to— fit the need in Maui. Mm. Well, there was no way to get those homes, those temporary homes, except for by boat, to Maui. And somebody came up with an idea and knew someone at NASA. And na- NASA, NASA sent, sent a C-17 airplane, <laughs> and they packed up 
wow, a dozen of these homes and flew them into Maui the same day that the president was arriving. <laughs> and when I drove by the church a couple of days later, the homes were already starting to go up. And... Um, they're being staged, and it's going to become a whole community. But that's how fast Maui moves, mm-hmm. and that's how passionate Maui is about that community. And Maud Cummings, at 70 years old, put this whole thing together. So, ladies, <laughs> yes, you're never too old to do something for Jesus. Well, when the power of God is in something, just look out. <laughs> he's he's going right. to accomplish his purposes That's right, Robin. in us and through us when we're available to him. And I have seen that in your life over the years. You are a woman who surrendered to Christ, and he said, great, I, I have some ideas of what we can do together. And you have had f- fascinating experiences, but I want you to, again, we're kind of starting at, at the back but of your your life story, but tell us about Frank and and your journey with him. Well, my husband Frank Rice. We were married almost forty years, and uh, he was my best friend. He was my soulmate. Um, we did everything we could together. We traveled around the world together. We did mission mission trips together. And I had mentioned at the beginning that on Maui we lost a whole community. Yeah. It does not minimize the losing of one person, yeah. because for me, Frank was my community. I mean, mm. I have four kids. And a bunch of grandkids. But Frank was the heart and soul of my life. And um, every year, we'd, we'd moved to Maui in 2004. And every year that we were there, Robin, in December, at the end of the year, we would pray, Lord, is there something else you want us to do? Is there somewhere you want us to go? Um, we'll do anything that you want us to do. And every year, it was total silence. We never heard anything. Mm. And we knew that was God saying, no, just stay right where you're at. Mm-hmm. You're doing exactly what I want you to be doing. And then in 2014, December 2014, we were ready to go on a, a ski trip with some of our kids to Whistler. And I was upstairs packing. And God spoke to me, Robin, in almost an audible voice. And he said, 2015 will be a year of change. And I ran downstairs. I said, Frank, you won't believe this. The Lord just spoke to me. He said, 2015 is going to be a year of change. Frank said, Marlene, well, what do you think we're going to do? I said, I don't know. Why don't we go to Mongolia and teach English? And he looked at me, and he was totally not enthusiastic about that. He said, why don't we see if we can just start a new ministry at our church? And I said, whatever God wants us to do, Frank, I know that we will know and we'll do it. And we'll be excited about it. Well, we went to Whistler, and I noticed Frank was not—he uh, was not the same. He was not physically feeling like he normally would. And I said, when we get back to Maui, I want you to go and get a complete physical. He did. The doctor came back, and the doctor said, you are in better health than me, Frank. Your vitals, everything about you, you're in better health than me. And so we were all excited. And I called the kids and said, guess what? Your dad's doing great. That was in February. On March 7th, he woke up at 4 in the morning, and he said, Marlene, I'm losing feeling in my left arm. And I knew right away he was having a stroke. And uh, we got him to the hospital, and we rushed him in. And uh, he was in the emergency room, and a really good doctor was on staff that day. And I went into his um, the viewing room where he was looking at the MRI that they had immediately taken of Frank. And my daughter-in-law that works at uh, Maui Memorial came in and was standing there with me. And I said, so what are we doing? And he said, we're getting ready to medevac Frank to Oahu. 
And I said, what do you mean, mm. medevac, Frank, to Oahu? We have a, a great um, coronary care unit here. And he said, Marlene, it's not his heart. He has four brain tumors. So unexpected. What? Yeah. And Carrie went up and was looking at the screen, and I saw the color drain from her face. Mm. So we went back to where Frank was. Um, The paramedics were coming in to load him up, and he looked at me, and he said, the year of change has begun. Oh. Just like the Lord said. The year 2015 will be a year of change. And then he blew me a kiss. And uh, he was rushed to the hospital, and uh, we never left his side. He was there five weeks. Mm -hmm. He was never by himself. The first 21 days, 48 people flew in to see him from all over. And he was never by himself. And we all knew, Robin, God was going to heal him. We were so convinced that nothing you could tell me that he might die Mm -hmm. would even enter my brain nor any of us. We had a banner made that we put up at the end of his bed that said, too big to miss. And that was in reference to Goliath, that when David took those stones, (laughs) Goliath was too big to miss. And this Mm -hmm. disease, which turned out to be melanoma that had spread through his body, very, very quickly, we knew it was too big to miss. And so as we continued to pray for him, we would see divine encounter after divine encounter take place. He um, had to go and have 10 full rounds of radiation at another hospital. And when the ambulance would come and pick him up, one of us would ride with him and the rest of us would be there to meet them. And when they would bring him out of the ambulance, we would all gather around and hold hands and pray for the radiation treatment, that it would just destroy that cancer that had gone to his brain. And on one of the days, there was a new driver. And and here there was, there was like eight of us, plus the other ambulance guys that were used to this little routine. And the driver said, I don't pray. And I grabbed his hand and I said, dude, you are part of Team Rice, and today you are praying. <laughs> he promptly put his head down, and we prayed. And we would experience, Robin, just incredible things that began to happen and take place that just further confirmed to us that God was going to miraculously hear Frank, heal Frank. And clearly it was the Lord convincing you in each step of the way that he was with you. He yes. was with you, and he's with us. Like that's that's the the beauty of all the times I've I've heard bits of your story off and on over the years. And of course, I knew Frank, and I remember the journey so well. And it was just the the presence of the Lord. He draws so near to us in those times of trouble. So he keep, does keep telling us what happened. So um, as. Things began to progress. Um, We were able to miraculously get him into one of the top nine um, rehabilitation, physical rehabilitation hospitals in the United States that just happens to be in Honolulu. And uh, Frank has a cousin on Oahu, and she was best friends with the chairman of that board. It's very difficult to get into that hospital, but he got in Mm. because of Elizabeth. And slowly but surely, uh, he began to deteriorate. But I'm going. This is just a setback. This is nothing. And um, finally, one day in that hospital, he wouldn't eat. He wouldn't open his mouth 
to take the medication. And I'd become good friends with um, the other hospital, the Kaiser Hospital in Oahu, where he was for the first five weeks. And I called that doctor and I said, this is what's happening. And he said, Marlene, I know you don't want to hear this, um, but I'm going to be real with you. You either can, Frank can stay there and he's probably not going to survive this, or you can bring him back here and we can try to bring him out of the coma and we'll send an ambulance right now. So that's what they did. Mm-hmm. They they came and they brought him uh, an ambulance and they took him back. And all the um, oncology doctors that were there, they were just amazing. And they all knew about our faith and they all knew we were believing for a miracle. And they'd say a miracle could happen. And then... Um, one of the doctors said, Marlene, you have two choices. Do you think Frank would rather go back to Maui now or stay here? Because what's going to happen in the next day and a half, they're not going to let him leave here Mm. because he's deteriorating Mm -hmm. so fast. So I went in and I said, honey, do you want to go back to Maui or do you want to stay here? And he he just looked at me. I said, do you want to go back to Maui? And he nodded his head. And I never cried once during that um, five weeks, Robin. I would not, uh, I just didn't let myself because I knew God was going to swoop in and do what we were all asking to do. And when we were taking him back, he was laying in his bed, getting ready to go. And my son, Daniel and daughter, Jessica were in that room. And all of a sudden, Frank looks up and he points to the corner of the wall and he says, Mar, there's a surfboard over there. And, and there's wings. And I said, what do you mean a surfboard? I looked over at Daniel thinking he had a surfboard on his T-shirt. And this is not, like, Frank's not like that, no, Robin. You no. knew him. He was very practical. He, very practical. Deep thinker. And, and I said, okay, mm. so you're seeing a surfboard. And Daniel said, Dad, do you think it's an angel there with a surfboard? He goes, well, of course. There's wings. It's an angel. <laughs> and I said, Frank, what do you think the angel wants you to do? And he said, he wants me to get on the surfboard and go with him. And I, I said, where does he want to take you? And he said, he wants to take me where I has not seen. And I said, wow. are you going to get on the surfboard? He goes, I don't know. I don't know if the timing is right. I don't know if I have fought hard enough for you guys. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I walked out of the room, and the nurse was there. And you know how in the hospital they always call you by your last name, Mrs. Gunn, Mrs. Rice. Mm -hmm. But this nurse said to me, Marlene, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm not. It's the first day I'd ever met this nurse. And she put her hand on my shoulder, and she said, it's all good. None of us gets to stay here. And I turned around and I found a corner in the hospital and I sat down and I began to cry uncontrollably. And I said, Lord, you did so many miracles. You did so many divine interventions. Why haven't you done the miracle that we've all been asking for? And once again, he spoke to me and he said, Marlene, I did all those other divine encounters so there would not be one moment that you and your family would ever feel that you were left alone. Mm. I was there every moment. Mm. But sometimes, Marlene, my plans are bigger than your prayers. And I said, okay. And I got up. Let's just sit on that a minute. (laughs) It's so true. And when we just surrender to that, sometimes God's plans are bigger than our prayers. Yes. And he loves us too much to let us get what we pray for. Oh, Robin, say that again. Please say that again. Truly, God loves us too much to let us 
always get what we pray for because he knows he knows what we need. He knows what's best. He has a plan. Yeah. Exactly. He does. And so we got him home to Maui and uh they brought him out of the coma and um lots of guests came to see him and I looked at him and I said, I know God's gonna heal you, Frank. I know you're gonna get up. But you need to know I don't wanna be on this planet by myself without you. And he grabbed my hand and he said, Mar, God already spoke to me and said he is going to take care of you and the children. And I still did not believe he was going to step into eternity that mm-hmm. day. And when he took his last breath, I looked at him. I said, it's okay. You've gone for a couple of minutes. You can come back. And he didn't come back. <laughs> oh, and I went on. And I just want to close with saying that... Um, I never forgot that Frank said God would take care of me. And at my worst moment, I was crying so hard coming back from work. I had to pull over by the Humane Society, and you know where that is. And I basically, and I think we can just talk to God from our heart, and this was my heart. My heart said, God, Frank said that you would take care of me. You need to step up your game because I don't feel like I'm being very well taken care of. And that morning, I got up, turned on the radio, Never heard this guy ever preach before, and the words coming out of his mouth said, it's okay to grieve, but grieve how you believe. It's okay to grieve, but grieve how you believe. And I went home that day, and I looked up every scripture in the Bible on death for the believer, and what I learned, there is no death for the believer, none. Mm. So, of course, there's a natural grief, but grieving to the state I was grieving, it was beyond comprehension, and that was not believing and grieving the same way. And I just want to share this one scripture in Thessalonians. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you will not grieve like other people who have no hope. Amen. And it goes on to say, they're going to come back. The believer never dies. And nine-year-old Sonny, my youngest granddaughter at the time, we were at the dinner table once and we were all kind of crying. And he said, I don't know why you guys are crying. Grandpa's not gone. He's just not on Maui. Oh, so true. And um, amid all that pain, God met me. He moved me forward. Um, My life has been even more impactful since experiencing this because I have a greater Mm -hmm. understanding of where we're headed. And one of my favorite Psalms is Psalms 3-5, and it says, I lie down and sleep, and I wake up again because the Lord sustains me. And no matter what loss mm-hmm. any of us have experienced, and I think the loss of the lo- of a loved one is probably the worst. At least for me, it was yeah. the worst. Yeah. When we lay down and sleep, Robin, we are going to wake up again because God sustains us. Amen. Amen. Arlene. I love your story. I, I remember Frank's memorial service, over a thousand people there on Little Maui, and the stories and the memories. And I knew Frank, but just hearing everyone else's stories just endeared me to him even more. And then your family went out on a boat after, and to, to say your goodbyes. And I loved this moment when the dolphins gathered around the boat and you and your whole family jumped in the water to swim with the dolphins because Frank loved boating. He loved dolphins. This, this was such a 
sweet gift, a little, a little gentle kiss from the Lord. I, I see you. I love you. I'm with you. And when we all jumped in the water, Robin, actually there was like about 20 of us that jumped in. When we jumped in and the dolphins came and we'd thrown his ashes out, he, the dolphins began to jump and dive <laughs> no. into Frank's ashes. Oof. That happens a lot on Maui. Glory. Glory, just little bits of glory here on earth. So this is why we needed to do two parts, and we shall. We will, we will come back because I want you, beautiful listeners, to hear how God has worked in Marlene's life over the years. And just as you got a little taste from this, it's that position of a woman who surrendered to the Lord and accepting what His plan is and continually pl- praying Hoping, trusting, and that's that's for all of us. That's the position we want to be able to settle in and and have that peace and trust God, no matter what's happening. You did you did a beautiful job of of giving us a glimpse of what that looks like in a very real life. So join us for our second part of the interview with Marlene Rice. I look forward to having you with us then. This is Robin Jones-Gunn and Marlene Rice. listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones-Gunn. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. For more information on Robin, visit RobinGunn.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. Join us each week for a lively conversation as we explore the lives of well-known and not-so-well-known historical and contemporary Christian women. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at www at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones-Gunn. Women Worth Knowing is a production of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa.